0: and use promo code TELL, T-E-L-L, for 15% off and free shipping. Available exclusively to our listeners for a limited time. With sunshine, outdoor activities, and so many fun things to do outside, it is impossible not to enjoy all of these good weather days up ahead. Of course, we all know that more sun and fun means more sweating, and yes, more odor. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi. and use code U, Y-O-U. I'm so excited to tell you about my guest and longtime online friend, Anne Bogle. Anne is an author and a podcaster. She is the brilliant mind behind the Modern Mrs. Darcy blog and the very popular podcast, What Should I Read Next?, In addition to reading hundreds of books a year to talk about on her blog and on her shows, Anne herself has written three books, including her latest, which just came out in March, titled Don't Overthink It, which can you imagine a better philosophy right now? Since her book came out just before the coronavirus pandemic hit, on this show we're going to talk a little bit about how that has affected her book tour and publishing in general. But we're also going to talk about our mixed feelings about the Bookstagram community online. We share about the ways that we've both changed our approach to sharing books on social media over the years. And we also talk about her annual Modern Mrs. Darcy Summer Reading Guide, which releases this week and is full of reading recommendations from Anne that covers all kinds of genres and tastes. You can learn all about Anne and her books and her podcasts and also sign up for for the summer reading guide by going to her blog, ModernMrsDarcy.com. I'll also link to all of these things in the show notes at 10thingstotellyou.com slash podcast. I love talking books with Anne because we have really different reading tastes and that always makes good discussion. I just value Anne's voice so much online and in the podcast world. It is always so good to talk to her. I think you're going to love our bookish discussion at the beginning and our actual book recommendations in the second half of this episode. Happy listening. Anne, I am so excited to finally have you on the 10 Things to Tell You podcast, so thank you so much for being here. That's right. We haven't done this before.
1: Well, now I'm extra excited to be here. I don't know when I think that happened, but I just, I think I feel like it must have at some point.
0: No. Well, we have recorded together for your show and for my other show, Smartest Person in the Room. So we've recorded together a few times. I love chatting with you for the show, but we've never been on 10 Things to Tell You together.
1: Uh, Well, it is an honor.
0: I'm so glad. Okay. So I've wanted to have you on for ages. But I'm particularly happy that you're on this week because we are celebrating the release of the much anticipated Modern Mrs. Darcy Summer Reading Guide, a thing that you put out every single year and I look forward to every single year. So that is what's happening this week and I'm very happy to have you here to talk about it. Will you please explain to my listeners if for some reason they do not know what your summer reading guide is all about.
1: Yes. Okay. So it is the most wonderful time of the year, which that's how we joke in house in modern Mrs. Darcy land. And so we're all singing Christmas songs that in our heads are seasonally appropriate. <laughs> it's a, a strange, it's a strange time, but it's a delightful one. So the summer reading guide is something I do every year for subscribers. I started in 2012. I, I'm always debating, should I own this publicly? But I'm on the record enough as saying it that I'm just going to say it again. It was totally my husband's idea, who was like, you love to read. People come to you for book recommendations. You know it would be really fun. And I said, but everybody, everybody takes summer reading seriously. What are you talking about? Like, they don't need a guide from me. And he was like, Anne. That is not normal, and you should do a guide. So it's evolved over the years, but every year I put out a list of books that as of a few years ago, this wasn't the case in 2012, um, that I have read cover to cover that I really love, that I'm excited about, that I think are going to appeal to a lot of readers. And I try to write about them in such a way that readers will be able to recognize like, oh, yes, that sounds amazing for me. When I started the guide, I included books that I was excited about that hadn't been published yet that I hadn't read. And that ended badly on a few occasions. I'd get the book that came out in June or July that I was so excited to get. And I'd read it and I'd be like, oh my gosh, not only did I waste 350 pages of my reading life on this, but I people were reading this because of me. And I feel awful. So Since the mid-2010s. Is that how we talk about that, Laura?
0: I have no idea.
1: Since I've been doing this for so long, now it's easier for me to ask nicely and publishers, well, give me those books so I can read them cover to cover, even if they don't come out till later this summer. But yeah, they're books that I've read and loved, and that I am really excited about people picking up this summer.
0: And I'm always shocked by the stats of this, because this means in preparation for the summer reading guide, you have to read so many books and I know that you read books anyway for your show and for your your website and social media and just for your own pleasure of course but it seems like for the guide like how many books did you read for this?
1: I know I read a hundred front to back, like every page. And then I read another, it's about 150 that I read portions of that just didn't end up finishing either because I didn't like them and I I didn't wish to finish reading them or I could start reading them and be like, you know, this could be a good book. It's not right for the guide. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm going to pick this up later. So now I'm coming back to some of those.
0: It's a lot of books. My jaw is on the floor that you read that many books Period, let alone that's just the number that you read for this particular project. But you guys, I got a glimpse a little bit early of the summer reading guide and it's amazing. You're definitely going to want to sign up to receive it. It's free, I guess we should say that because that's really important. And if you are just looking for what you're going to read this summer when you're on vacation, you know, if you have extra time. We're sort of in a weird time in the world right now, so I don't know if you have extra time or not. Either way, if you're looking for something to read and you just aren't sure where to start, I highly, highly, highly encourage you to go sign up and get the Modern Mrs. Darcy Summer Reading Guide for 2020. Super exciting. So speaking of being in a weird time in the world... (laughs) What is your life? You laugh or you cry. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I'm just like, there's so many things we could speak of around that. But what has your reading life looked like in the last couple of months? Are you, like, I feel like people are falling into a couple of different camps. They're Mm -hmm. either binge reading and reading way more than usual because they need the escape or they do have extra time if they're not going to their nine to five job or whatever. Or then you have people who, like me, actually who's reading significantly less than usual. Mm -hmm. What about Mm you?
1: Oh, okay. I've been all over the place. First, I didn't read at all. And I think part of that was overwhelm, but also I was supposed to be on book tour. So I was in New York as recently as March 7th. I came home and started taking the lay of the land, reading all New York Times, no novels, doing a lot of thinking and a lot of talking with my team and my people figuring out what are we going to do? So I feel like for a solid week, all those hours were spent working and planning and reading something else so that we could make decisions, which was not fun. I mean, at the time, we like tentatively canceled the first weekend of stuff and then we canceled the rest of the month and oh. We're so adorable how we thought it might be over by now, but here we are. Then I read all like the fluffiest light stuff I could get in my house. And I do want to say that like a novel that reads fluffy is often the product of an author who labored hard to deliver you that lighthearted reading experience, not to undermine the work, but that I just wanted something that felt light and fun and fresh and escapist. and But I was reading slowly. And then at a certain point, I recalibrated and got back more into my regular rhythms. And a lot of that, honestly, I think was I overdosed on the news. So I had to be – I'm always reading something. And it couldn't be the news anymore. So I got back to my regular reading rhythms. But also the weather got really nice. And one of my favorite things to do is just sit out on the porch or walk the dog with a good book in my lap or in my ears. So that really helped a lot. And I, you know, you're laughing about how many books I read for the guide. It's not necessary to read that many, especially this year. There were so many good titles. I could have filled up my dance card and be done early, but there's not a natural stopping point. And I really enjoy the process of continuing to look for, um, almost like the, the sleeper hits that people might not find otherwise. I have to read a lot of books to find those that are like really good, that I'm really excited about um, sharing with people that just aren't on anyone's radar. So once I got back to project mode, like, okay, I got to finish the guide. That was really helpful to get my reading life back on track. But I hear you, like I see, I see regular readers hardly reading at all. And people who don't read much suddenly reading seven books at a time because everyone's life is looking so different right now than they expected in some way.
0: Yeah. I mean, I have a couple of questions from what you said, and then I'll share what my reading life has been. But when you say that you try really hard to find those gems that aren't, you know, positioned by marketing to be bestsellers, you know, the kind of sleeper hits, how do you even find those? I don't know. (laughs) I'm genuinely asking. Do those come from recommendations? Do those come from, you know, backlist? And are they usually like new titles that are just they don't have a big marketing machine behind them? Mm -hmm. Or are you talking about like older things that sort of just got missed?
1: First of all, to be clear, when you say it has a marketing machine behind it, or it's being positioned to be a bestseller. I mean, that that means it's got money behind it. When publishers get excited about a book, that means they're getting excited about it with money, and they're sending out copies to people. If you see a book splashed all over Instagram, that is because they have money to pay people to reach out, and I I could talk about that for a long time. Okay, so... I've been led astray by Bookstagram, Laura. Can you tell? Like, so many people are.
0: This is a valid side conversation here because I do think that a lot of people don't realize that. I mean, it's easy. We, We all fall prey to all different types of advertising. And how can your brain not register something that's all over the place? You automatically think it must be popular or good or worthy of being all over the place instead of realizing that there is, you know, those placements are paid for, or, you know, not not always disingenuous, of course, it's not. But like, like you said, they had marketing dollars to send out a ton of advanced copies. So even if the praise is genuine, those books got into more hands than a smaller book would just be able to get into, mm-hmm. even if it's yeah. great, you know, so I, I do wish more people realized that. And you and I have sort of talked a little bit off mic about Bookstagram and it's complicated because I love seeing what people are reading, but I do find it hard to discern like hype from real excitement and I also personally, which I've said on the show before, have like weird feelings around bookstagram that it makes me feel like not competitive, but like mm-hmm. it makes me feel like I'm not reading the right things or that I'm not reading enough because so many bookstagrammers are reading so much more than I am. Or like, I don't know, it makes me feel feelings of reading inadequacy, which is so funny, because people have said that about Instagram and Pinterest and like in the lifestyle way forever for years that I've never understood. I don't have a lot of Pinterest lifestyle envy. I do apparently have reading lifestyle
1: envy. <laughs> I'm sorry for the reading lifestyle envy, but I do like what it says about you as a person that, that that's even a possibility, that, that when you're lusting after somebody else's thing on Instagram, it's what they're reading. Um, okay, so we have talked about this. And to be clear, I'm not saying those posters are paid, but I'm saying it takes, it takes people and it takes dollars to put a bunch of books in people's hands. And you know what it comes back to is... The, the early days of the summer reading guide. Like, like I was saying, I would share books and say, I am so excited to read this book that's coming out in a couple months. I haven't read it yet. And maybe we'll be disappointed together because new releases aren't always great, but this is what I'm excited to read. And it's still the case in 2020. Like I like to see what other people are excited about reading, but there's a big difference between being excited about reading a book and Knowing that that was a great reading experience. And something that I'm particularly sensitive about, because I hear all the time, like, Anne, like, we want to hear what you're excited about reading, is I know that when people see a book on my blog, if I say, I am so excited about reading this, I don't know anything about it except that it sounds good, let's read it together and find out. People will come back to me months later and say, I saw that blog or I saw that book on Modern Mrs. Darcy, thank you for the recommendation, I loved it. Or they'll come back and say, I saw that blog I met on Mrs. Darcy. I hated it and I can't believe you recommended it. That's not your thing at all. What were you thinking? Because they just remember where they saw it and they remember the cover and they don't remember what was said. I think this is less true on the podcast. I find that when you're listening to someone in their own voice talk about their experience, you remember more of the details and the nuance, but oh, in a in a print version, like in the summer reading guide or on the blog. That's why I'm leery of sharing what I'm excited about. And the same is true for Instagram. Occasionally, I do say, like, "Okay, here's my my I got book mail. This is what it looks like. It's coming out in August, but only usually in stories because those disappear. They're gone in twenty four hours.
0: I'm so glad that you said this because it has also affected the way I post about books over the years because, like you said, I will post that I'm excited about a book or that I just bought a book, or occasionally when, I I sometimes, and I pretty rarely do this, but I do occasionally post about a book that I didn't like. And I feel like there's something to be said about the book that I, there's a reason I posted about it. People do not read the caption or if they do, they forgot. And so then they buy it and they're disappointed in it the same way I was or whatever. And just like you said, all they remember is that I posted about it. They don't remember Mm -hmm. that I said, I haven't read it yet or I didn't like it. So I very specifically stopped posting unless I was really, really careful. So I stopped posting unless I loved it or liked it enough to to recommend it, or if I just tried to be as explicit as possible as I could in the caption. So if they misread that, it's on them and not on me. But the other thing that I stopped doing entirely, which is kind of a bummer, is sharing books that I just got in the mail or that I haven't read yet, because inevitably, someone will say that they hated it. And even if it's a total stranger to me, when I say I'm excited about this book, look what just came, and they say, oh, it's terrible, that sticks in my brain. And it, mm-hmm. and I am so annoyed by it. Even if I couldn't even recall who said they didn't like it. It can be a complete stranger to me. Just the fact that people are like, "Ugh, oh, you'll hate it, sticks with me in a way that I it just drives me completely nuts. And so, and I'm talking mostly about um, fiction and novels with this. Mm -hmm. I think nonfiction is a little bit of a different conversation here. But for fiction, I will almost never post a book that I haven't read yet. Or if I do, I literally give instructions like, please don't tell me if you've read it and don't like it. Like it really ruins it for me. And then Mm -hmm. then people usually will heed that. But I'm glad Mm -hmm. you said that because I felt like I was the only one.
1: Well, and also- treading lightly here but there is often a lack of empathy involved in the comments that book is amazing you will love it like Laura th- somebody has to know pretty much about you and your reading taste to be able to say that to you you can't say that to a stranger like just because i loved a book doesn't mean you'll love a book one of the reasons i love to hear you talk about books is that we don't gravitate towards the same stuff we have some overlap there are books that i know we've both loved and there are books that i know that we've both hated but we don't read the same. And so for me just to be like, oh, I loved it. So obviously it's an amazing book and therefore you will love it too. That That's not how people are created.
0: No. But if someone tells me, I think you'll love it, it that doesn't stick with me as much. Like then I can read it and still be objective and be like, well, turns out I didn't actually. <laughs> <laughs> but if they say, oh, this one was terrible, then that does stick with me because Mm-hmm. What if I'm reading along and I'm loving it and I'm like but maybe is it terrible? Like I start to question my own taste? Which is, the, is which is the other thing about Bookstagram, by the way. I never used to question my own taste. And now I have to really shut out the noise about something and and really think how did I feel about this? Because I am I don't want to be, but I am influenced by all the people mm-hmm. who posted they loved it or all the people who Posted it was problematic or, you know, all of the things, it is really hard for me to get centered and be like, but how did I actually feel about it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I relate to that.
0: I am going to say really quickly about my reading life during the pandemic. And Los Angeles has been on pretty strict lockdown. I know that this is very different across the country. And both my husband, Jeff, and I have been at home. I work at home anyway. Um Jeff's movie production got shut down, so he's been at home. I know that everyone's situation is different if they've been able to work, if they haven't been, if they're at home, if they're not in Los Angeles in our household, we have been physically in our house for almost 9 weeks. <laughs> like we've seen almost no one. Now, at the beginning of this, a tiny little silver lining in my mind was, well, if we're going to have to stay home for 30 days, which is what we thought at the time, I'll just get through my to-read stack. I mean, I didn't think, like, I wasn't like glad about that, but I was like, well, this is what will happen. And that is not what happened. I mean, first of all, I kept buying books like a psychopants, so I was just adding to my to-read list. But then secondly, I could not concentrate on anything especially fiction. And I tried. And so I just went straight nonfiction for like six weeks because it was just the way my brain was working. I was also taking in a lot of news and podcasts and things like that. And I was trying to be mindful of it. But basically, I was taking in a lot of information and I just was in that mode. And so I just stayed in that mode in my reading life. I was completely unable to switch also, I am not an escapist reader. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people read to escape, to not think about the world and, the you know, whatever. That's just not, has never really been a reading motivation for me. And so it wasn't helpful to me. It wasn't, I wasn't finding comfort in novels or in checking out for a few hours in a story. That just wasn't, that's not why I read in the first place. So it wasn't helpful, even though, I felt like it should be, it just wasn't. So I've read a lot of nonfiction. I had to like, I had to really like reach to find fiction to talk about today. (laughs) (laughs) But I do have it. I do have it. So, okay, we're going to talk about, we're each going to share some books. I'm actually sharing books that I've read recently that I want to talk about. You are going to share a few books from the reading guide that you think I would like, or the listeners would like, like some of the things you're excited about. And I also am glad that you mentioned we have different reading tastes because we do. And I actually love that about us because I just think it's like an interesting dynamic because in some ways I feel like you and I are alike in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, from what I know, you online, and I've followed you for a long time, and, you know, we've been online friends. And so I just think it's interesting that we we really diverge in our reading tastes. I think I like darker than you.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And maybe you like historical more than me.
1: I'm going to say, I don't read a ton of historical, but you know what's interesting about historical fiction is that statistically speaking, people who read a ton of books read a ton of historical fiction. Obviously not always, because you read a ton of books, Laura, but that's a thing. And there's a lot of historical out right now.
0: What's your favorite, oh, historical has gotten ultra popular in the last few years. Like, as true crime has gotten so popular on TV, historical fiction has gotten so popular, it feels like to me in the reading community, and I'm not a historical fiction person, and so I'm always like, Ugh. What is your favorite genre? I mean, I know that's hard to make you narrow, but like, in general, because mm-hmm. I could say my reading tastes are pretty dark. I would say dark and quirky, is what I like. What do you like?
1: I like I call it compulsively readable literary fiction. I want a literary novel that still has a driving plot to pull me forward. Cuz you don't get both a lot of the time. But I really like to get both. Um like Rules of Civility Anything by Maggie O'Farrell. There's a Brit Bennett book coming out this summer we could talk about on that note. Beautifully written. Um, definitely like playing to the styles and themes um, coming out of MFA workshops. But like you want to turn the page because you want to know what happens next. That's oh, my so favorite. I'm so excited. You—that That is your taste. Totally. You're right.
0: And we do have overlap. I don't mean to say that we we don't. We do. And I think we both like prioritize good writing and like that kind of thing for sure. So tell me the first book on your list that you wanted to share about today.
1: Okay, let's talk about that one I just mentioned, which I'm going to call historical, but like it only, I mean, what what is historical, Laura? <laughs> so seriously, because um, it floored a lot of people to see like last year's Daisy Jones and the Six categorized as a historical novel because they think, I don't like historical, but is Fleetwood Mac really history? I mean, you know, it depends on how you play that. Okay, well, so- wait.
0: Let me just say that it's true that historical fiction is like such a ridiculously broad category because there's so much history. I think when I say I don't like historical fiction, what I actually am truly saying is I don't like war books.
1: I wondered if that was what you meant.
0: Because I do like some historical things quite a bit, actually, now that I'm sort of cataloging in my head. What I really don't like are war books. I just don't. I've read them. I've learned from them. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe I've gained some empathy from, you know, what that novel was trying to
1: teach me and whatever. But in general, war books wear me clean out. I think it's great to appreciate a book and to see how it is well written or maybe could have used another round of edits. And I also think it's so good to know, like, it's Sunday afternoon and I want to sit down and read a book, and I want it to be a book I'm going to like. You know, it's nice to know what you as a reader should go to. And to know, like, World War II novels, that's not what you're going to pick up. But to know what you should, because you like it, because that is your taste that you figured out over the years, like, that is a gift to figure that out. And I'm not going to talk you out of it. Thank you for granting me that. Okay, I'm sorry I cut you off. You were starting to tell us the first book you're going to tell us about. Okay, so this comes out June 2nd. It's by Britt Bennett. Did you read her debut, The Mothers, that came out four or five years ago?
0: I did. We read that for my real-life book club, actually.
1: Okay. So this is different. No Greek chorus here. But there's still California. Oh, it's so good, though. This took me a little bit of time to get into because she's setting up two different families in two different places and a story that unfolds over decades. Like, it goes from Jim Crow era up to the 80s, which is where most of the action happens. But like once I figured out who was who and we got rolling, I just could not put it down. So this is about two twin sisters. Wait, Laura, let me think how much I'm going to tell you.
0: You don't do spoilers. I don't do spoilers.
1: This isn't out yet, so there shouldn't be spoilers. But sometimes the thing on the jacket copy shouldn't be said. Okay, here's what I'm going to tell you. So two twin sisters grow up closer than close in rural Louisiana. And one of them sees an opportunity to leave her black community forever, makes an irrevocable decision that she is certain will cut her off from her family and her sister forever. Um, But then their daughters get to know each other in California, like two decades later. And it's wild. Okay, you're going to look up the jacket and you're going to see what it's about. And I'm pretty sure I even tell you a little more what it's about or how this get set up in the summer reading guide. It's so good. But you have the story that just propels you forward while Bennett is wrestling with themes of family and race and identity and choice and belonging and our culture. And, oh, it's just, it's juicy.
0: Wait, what's what's the title of it?
1: I don't know that I told you. It's called The Vanishing Half. It's by Brit Bennett.
0: So The Mothers was a three-star read for me. But I don't want that to, like, overly inform how I felt about it. There were things I really, really liked about it. And we had a really good conversation about it in book club. I think it's a good book club book for a few reasons. But this one sounds like I really want to read it now.
1: And June 2nd is so soon. And, I mean, I don't know how you feel about reading books set in your backyard. But, I mean, the the big moment goes down in Southern California.
0: I do love Southern California books in general. I felt like the mothers, they were in Southern California in that book too, but it was not a particularly relevant backdrop, I don't feel like, in the mothers, unless I'm misremembering. But I do, in general, love books set, especially in LA, but really, really anything
1: in California. Something else I like about this book is that Britt Bennett is a lot younger than me. She published her debut that sold a crap ton of copies when she was 26. It sold really well. Like, she could have published another book right away. That doesn't mean it's going to be good, though, necessarily. But she took her time with this one. It's a different kind of story. It's got a lot more sweep. I just really appreciate the fact that this has clearly been carefully done. It wasn't rushed to print by anyone. In fact, I've actually been watching the publication date going, they've been waiting for this for a long time, and publishers are pushing back a lot of books into fall or even 2021 because of the COVID-19 situation. Like, are they going to? Are they going to pull this? But I'm checking every day because the summer reading guide, as of right now, is still June 2nd. And I'm excited for people to read it.
0: I'm glad you said that about her being younger, because uh, anyone who's listened to me for a while now knows that I have been reading a lot of books with racial uh, history, racial themes like that is something I really want to educate myself on, something that I care a lot about. And when you said that she is younger writing this story, I that really also kind of perked up my ears because I've been reading uh, not a lot of younger voices in that space, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And so it's just another way to like you know learn and take in that perspective. So I'm actually glad you mentioned that because yes, yes, I definitely want to read this one. This is a great pick.
1: Well, you know, I want to hear what you think if you do.
0: I will. I will share for sure. The first book I want to talk about is My Dark Vanessa by Kate Elizabeth. Russell. This book came out earlier this year. I mean, just a few months ago, but just a few months ago seems like 17 years ago. (laughs) It sure does. I mean, I think I read this book in March, kind of right before uh, we went on lockdown here. And it honestly feels like I read this book in like 2015. I don't know. Okay, so I'm talking about this book because I haven't talked about it yet publicly and it's dark. <laughs> you haven't read it yet, right?
1: There is no yet for me. Like, I know enough about it from readers that I, even readers that I turn to, like, to get book recommendations regularly who read a lot darker than me are like, and like, this is too much for me. You are just, no. I just want you to know, no, not for you. So you're totally right. It is. I was going to say you could talk me into it, though. Okay, but no, it's
0: definitely not for a sensitive reader. So the premise is teenager, a young troubled girl at a boarding school, and she's on scholarship at the boarding school. She does not come from like a super wealthy family or anything. East Coast boarding school has a sexual relationship with her professor, which I'm going to guess it's a teacher, but it's like a professor sort of almost like a collegiate relationship, even though it's high school, which matters. Of course it matters. She's 14, 15 when when this starts. And then the book goes through, and that's not any kind of spoiler. I mean, that's the whole premise Mm -hmm. of the book. The book bounces back and forth in perspective between telling the story of this relationship in high school that goes on for, you know, a few years in their high school life to her adult perspective in her 30s. And another student has come out also with allegations against this teacher. And this book is graphic, sexually, and so that's going to be a turnoff for a lot of readers, not only the graphic nature, but of course this is inappropriate and illegal and all the things that make you feel very awful things inside. So it's a hard read. If this is a trigger for you or, you know, if you don't like – reading very detailed descriptions of these acts, it's just not going to be for that type of reader. So there's that, especially knowing that this is a, a teenager when this is happening. So that part's hard. That's not the part that I think is important about this book. It is so interesting to hear her thought process when she is a teenager, because I believe that like facts on the ground, this is an abuse situation, a manipulation, all of those things. But you're you're reading it from her perspective, where she thinks she's in love with this man.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So to hear her thought process as a teenager, bouncing back and forth with her thought process as a full-blown adult, it is so interesting because you're really in the mind of Someone who is in such a manipulated relationship, you know it, it just it's asking you are is it stunting their growth, their emotional growth, like at what point is a switch flipped if it is, and maybe it's not that like oh my gosh, this was abuse versus this was a love relationship like so you mm-hmm. sort of see her progression that isn't what you expect. I mean, that this is where I don't want to give any spoilers, but it's it's not what you expect. But you're also seeing her react to the outside world because of the other accuser that comes forward, like how they're reacting to this man and what teacher-student relationships are and everything. And in her mind, she's screaming, no, that's not what this is. And so you're sort of watching almost an awakening Mm -hmm. And it is not cut and dry for her. And you want it to be because we want everything to be black and white. And we want to say like, you know, we want everything to be good or evil. And it's I just thought it was fascinating. I've thought about it now for weeks just because it almost brought up perspectives that I'd never thought about. Um, And I'm not even like getting into... The details of this. I actually hope I haven't said too much. But I do think that this particular book is the type of thing that you really, I really want people to kind of know what they're getting into a little bit because it is so graphic because it is very emotional. And like, this isn't one you would want to go into blind.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And this is my exact favorite type of novel, not only because I just enjoy darker themes, but also because you learn something. And not in a factual informational way, but like, I just learned another way to think about this. Or I mm-hmm. learned maybe some empathy for these victims as they go into adulthood and what they live with then in their every relationship going forward. And you can think about those things intellectually and be like, oh, yeah, sure, that's probably hard. But like, you know, that's this is what the power of story is to like really read it and be like, oh, my gosh, this is this is terrible. <laughs> um, so that's my favorite type of novel, really, is to like mm-hmm. learn something or have a perspective shift but then also with excellent writing, which it has. And then also, you know, not fluffy. <laughs> so that was my very long-winded first one. I didn't know I had so many words about that book. But that it was a good book. It's probably going to be among my top of the year, at least so far, even though we're only halfway through the year. But, okay, what's your next one?
1: Oh, I don't know. Okay, so there's one that I think is interesting. To talk about that is exactly right for like half the readers listening, but there's another one I hadn't really thought about talking about that might be more appealing to you.
0: Well, now you have me like curious.
1: Oh, how to decide. Do you want the pandemic book or the like marriage and turmoil? Wait, but I want both of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll see if I can go quick. So the first book that I thought would be good to talk about in general, before I got thinking about what you would like, I think you'd like the first half. I don't know if you'd like the second half. It's The End of October by Lawrence Wright. He's a journalist. I don't know that he's written a novel before, Laura. And this reads – usually when people talk about a nonfiction novel, they mean a really interesting nonfiction narrative that reads like a story. Lawrence Wright, he – is he wrote, the one who wrote the Scientology book, Going Clear? Yes, he is. But this is a novel. So, But it does read like – It it reads like all too real at the beginning. Okay. So again, two kinds of readers, those who are like, yes, I do want to read a book about a terrible global pandemic right now. And those who are just like, maybe I'll read that in 2023 but I'm not going to read it now. But what he does here, oh, it's wild though, Laura, because he uses words that I just never thought of before, like coronavirus. But he talks about novel viruses and what that means, and the coronavirus specifically, and things that were not on most of our radars when he was writing this book two years ago, you know? But what he does is imagine a world that has been struck by a novel virus. In this case, it's not a coronavirus. It's a flu. It's called the Congoli flu, and it begins in Indonesia. And the specific vehicle for spread here is that there's one driver who doesn't get stopped when he's leaving the camp that got infected, and he goes straight to the Hajj, the annual pilgrimage where everyone comes to Mecca. Millions of Muslims are there for their one time a year, and he's there, and it's highly contagious. And then they fly back home and seed... Mm everywhere. I really enjoyed reading this book the same way I enjoy reading like any kind of retelling because I'm reading the story in front of me, but I also have the fun puzzle of looking how the author's aligning their source material with the story. And here I was like, ooh, what's similar to right now and what's not? And that was really fun for me for the first half of the book. And then the second wave came and it got really, really ugly in the book and it was not fun anymore for me, (laughs) but I finished it. But he is a journalist and he's like, I'm a researcher. I talk to people. I see the writing on the wall. I learn from history. Like, it's not that coincidental that it looks so much like real life right now.
0: What's the name of this book?
1: Oh, I don't know that I told you. It's called The End of October and it just came out April 28th. I feel like I've seen a couple of people reference this just because it, it's, I mean, it's... It's freaky. It is it's freaky. freaky. Yeah. Yeah. So, but the other one... That is more invented, but also dark in a different way. It's called Sea Wife by Amity Gage. Do you know this?
0: No, I don't know that author or that book.
1: Okay. Um, It's not, I keep wanting to call it her debut because she was not on my radar before, but this is not her first book. It came out the same day on April 28th. But this is a literary thriller, another genre that I really like. And it was inspired by a 2014 Coast Guard rescue where it cost the government a whole lot of money to get these wealthy sailors who did not know what they were doing off their yacht in the middle of the Pacific and pull them to safety. But in this novel, there's a couple whose marriage is not going so well. Um, He's totally having his quiet midlife crisis. She's a poet who feels like she's sublimated all her desires to her husband's. They have two little kids that she's not crazy that she's the sole caretaker for. So what do you do but sell all your stuff and go live in a confined space in the middle of the ocean together? which is what they do. So at the very beginning of the book, the wife's back home. She's sitting in the closet. You don't know why. Her husband's not there. You don't know why. And she's asking herself, where does a mistake begin? So you know something bad has happened. But what happens is she finds her husband's captain's log, which basically is his diary from the trip. And in alternating perspectives, you get to see like what she's going through now and getting her reflections on the journey. And you're reading his real time account of what happened on that boat. And it wasn't good in a really like what happens next kind of way. You are selling me
0: so hard on all of these books. Okay, so yes, I'm glad you talked about both of them perfectly. Okay, this next one, we don't need to give a ton of words to actually because so much has been said about it already. I do just want to mention it because I loved it and it's probably the only nonfiction that I'm going to talk about on the show today. And also, it's the most representative of what I've been reading lately. (laughs) And that is Untamed by Glennon Doyle. When I was thinking about talking about this book with you, I realized you never post or talk about books like this or sort of in this memoir self-help genre.
1: Is this just not your jam? That's interesting because I read a lot of nonfiction and I read a lot of memoir, but you're right. I don't read a lot of that. That's not like a choice. It's just not, not. it just hasn't worked out that way. Maybe I'm not pulled that way. We could psychoanalyze this later.
0: Yeah, no, I think a lot of people are not. And it's it's not relevant about anything. I was just thinking, oh, I'm going to talk about this book with Anne. And then I was thinking, I've never heard Anne talk about anything even like this book. But Glennon Doyle, if the listeners don't know, and I feel like pretty much all of my listeners will know, she is an author. This is her third book, I'm pretty sure. And she's a very, very... Popular social media figure, public figure. She's a great speaker. She's, you know, very inspirational and often empowering and sort of like a call to action sort of social media figure. Now, here's the thing about this book that I think threw a few people off Untamed is her latest. It came out in March. Her first book was called Carry On Warrior, it was essays, mostly pertaining to um, her earlier life about struggling with addiction and early motherhood. And she's very funny. She's irreverent. She was a lot more of a faith-based writer back then. And then her second book, which was a huge hit with people, was called Love Warrior. And that book is about, at the very beginning, finding out that her husband of many years has been cheating on her for a long time. And so then you go through the process with her of Not only like determining if she's going to stay or not, but really about like betrayal and healing and what that means for their marriage and partnership and co-parenting and all of these things. And at the end of that book, she decides to stay with him and sort of gives like a whole rousing thing about love. It is much more of a narrative love warrior. Like it's almost like a story. Like she finds out her husband cheated on her. She goes through this sort of year of healing or whatever. She decides to stay. It's less essays like Carrie-Anne Warrior, more of like a narrative. With Untamed, this is what I'm trying to get to, I think a lot of people were expecting it to be quite a bit more like Love Warrior. Glennon's life has very publicly changed. She ultimately did divorce her husband. She fell in love with soccer superstar Abby Wambach. They are now married. So that's quite a dramatic life shift. And although she's been very public that these things have happened, she hasn't really given a whole narrative about how they happened. And so I think that a lot of readers were expecting a love warrior like type book about how she ultimately ended up divorcing and falling in love with a woman. And you know, that sort of like a, an arc to it. Here's what happened kind of book. Mm. That is not what untamed is, but it's not just a book of essays like carry on warrior was either. And I absolutely loved carry on warrior. That is one of my favorite uh, memoir essay books that i've ever read untamed is was is none of those things. all three of her books are pretty distinctly different. She does tell just in the nature of writing about herself, the facts that happened, that she ended up leaving her husband and and fell in love with someone else. And she gives, if you're a fan of her, she does give you glimpses into those things and actually some very beautifully written passages about those things. But this is not a narrative. This is not a this happened, then this happened, then this happened. This is a book of inspiration, honestly. like It really is much more like her voice online, which is really trying to get women to think about their own life and their own the own ways in which they are silenced or making themselves small it's about really you know tapping into personal truth and that kind of thing so i loved it because that's the type of thing i love if you're looking for like a love story it's that's in there, but that is not the main thing. It's really not that. So, you know, most people that I've seen, a lot of people have also really loved it and resonated with it. And those are the people who have followed her pretty closely as I have. And so they're already in tune with her voice. If you were just looking for like a juicy memoir, it's not that. If you are unfamiliar with her at all, I think you would take a lot from it because I think there's a lot to be taken from it. But I, you know, I think you might be surprised by the format because some of the chapters are like one page. Do you know what I mean? Like, so it's, it's not a traditional format. And so anyway, I loved it. I like Glennon as a writer. I think she's a really important voice. I like memoir slash self-help. I have just written a memoir slash (laughs) self-help book. (laughs) So like, This book is just right in my lane. And so I just wanted to point people towards it if they like that type of thing.
1: I really enjoyed Carry On Warrior, but I haven't I haven't read her long form work since then. She really she has such a way with words.
0: She really does. And she's really good metaphors, also something that I really love. I love a good (laughs) metaphor. And Untamed starts out with a very, very strong chapter that Almost like to me set the bar for how you could, should even start out self-help books or inspirational books because it was just so empowering, like makes you want to cheer at the end of it. So yeah, I just think she's really talented. And also I love books like this. They're, for me, these are the perfect type of books for my morning reading. I do 20 minutes mm-hmm. of morning reading every day. I set my timer. And this is a perfect morning reading pick. Okay, what's your next one?
1: I snuck in too last time.
0: Okay, so I get more, you done or you don't want to say any more?
1: I mean, I don't have to be done. I'm just saying.
0: Give us one more because I can't get enough of your recommendations. And then I want to talk about
1: um, a novel that I know that we've both read. Ooh, fun. Okay. Something to look forward to because it doesn't come out until July 21st. I'm going to lead with the title this time, Laura. It's called Musical Chairs. It's by Amy Popple. This book was such a fun surprise for me. I did not read the author's first book, Small Admissions. I started, I just couldn't get into it. I really enjoyed Limelight, her second book on audio, which is where a mother who kind of needs a job after she's wrenched her family out of Texas and is now living in Manhattan basically ends up being a Justin Bieber-like star's mom slash babysitter and really comes into her own and brings her family along with her. It's so sweet, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about musical chairs out this summer and it's not relatable to the life we're living right now in a lot of ways because these people are traveling and they're going to New York city for the day. But in another way, this is about a woman with a newly ish empty nest who has planned her perfect summer. But then she is thwarted at every turn and everything goes to pieces. And I imagine that that aspect of her life in this novel's premise is something that many of us can relate to right now. Oh, But Amy Popple is funny and this is sweet. And it's a found family story, which I know a lot of people, including me, really love. So her summer starts going wrong when her very serious, sophisticated, Pulitzer-winning boyfriend breaks up with her over email. Then her two 20-something children have crises of their own, so they end up coming back to Mama for the summer to, you, thinking their mom is going to be thrilled to see them. And she's like, no, no, no. Like I planned my love nest. If our family like swanky home in Connecticut, get out of here. But they don't because what are you going to do with a novel if you don't have more complications? And then her work life starts falling apart. She is a member of a classical trio. So this book very much put me in mind of the ensemble by Aja Gable that came out two or three summers ago, which I also really enjoyed. This one has a different tone This one is a lot funnier. But if you like the ensemble by Aja Gable, definitely put this on your radar. Yeah, just work starts going to pieces because the three people in her trio starts having their own issues. And then her father, who's a big deal musician, sets his house on fire accidentally. So she's just like literally putting out fires all over the place. And also this situation from her past comes up and it's kind of a big deal. And I just really enjoyed watching this poor woman deal with all these like these problems. They're not my life. That's probably why they were so much fun to read about. Um, They were realistic with just the right amount of zany. It was just such a fun summer read. And also, if you do like stories about put together families or stories about second chances, this is a good one. And I got to say special credit here because the ending is just spot on she nails it. And that's always extra satisfying.
0: Oh, that is extra, extra satisfying. Okay, so I want to talk about a novel I know we both read. And I have read so few novels, as I've already said lately, and I have totally mixed feelings about this one. But I'm still thinking about it weeks and weeks later, which is why it's especially notable to talk about. And that is the novel Saint X by Alexis Shakin. I hope I said that right. So you read this one, right?
1: I did. I listened to this on audio back in the fall, a little bit before it came out.
0: Okay. So you listened to it and I read it. I don't listen to fiction at all on audio, but I can imagine that they are different experiences.
1: I wish that I could like split test this and see what it's like to read the book and then read the audio book. Because I feel like they're definitely different experiences. But you can't do that. Like you can never read a book again for the first time. And I find that really frustrating.
0: I I, I can't do audio. I just can't follow it. Again, brain problems. But Saint X is about a family who goes on vacation. It's parents, a mother, a father, and two daughters. One daughter is in college. And then there's quite a big age gap. And then One daughter is young. She's like seven, I think, or something. And they're on this vacation at this beautiful resort in the Caribbean, and the college age daughter disappears. It has a lot of Natalie Holloway in Aruba tones at the beginning. And I, you know, that's purposeful. It also taps into like, that's a story that so many of us have followed, even if just loosely. A lot of people know who Natalie, who Natalie Holloway was and that she disappeared on vacation. And a difference here is that this, I think I can say this, I don't think this is a spoiler really, is that the daughter is found dead within a few days. And so the the premise of the book is everything that happened to their family, especially the sister afterward, because they have no answers Solid answers on what happens to her. So, what I found notable about this book is something that very, very rarely happens to me is that I didn't love it at first. In fact, I was really only finding it okay for a long chunk of a book, like the first three fourths of the book. I was sort of just like, eh. But I cared enough about it to like find out what happened, you know, to sort of find out the conclusion. So, I Finished it all the way through. It should be noted, I have no problem giving up a book. Usually, if I don't like a book, I will quit reading it. So, this is why for me, it was a big deal. This never happens. That then, the last quarter of the book, I was like, this is actually so interesting. (laughs) Because, you know, part of the storylines are some of the people that are native to the island, the islanders there who worked at the resort where the family was staying when she disappeared you know there's some of those people then then also the family and you know this is a a thriller really is this a thriller or like a mystery i don't know it's i you know i'm struggling to not say too much but i thought this book was okay 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 and then i was like whoa this is like sociologically fascinating
1: (laughs) by the Um. end I wish we were at book club because I'd want to be like, Laura, tell me about the exact moment because I remember just, I, I love a book that can stop me in my tracks. And I remember getting to a certain point and just going, oh. it was when the taxi driver turned around and said something to her. And I was like, no way.
0: Is that when you
1: gasped? Well, see, this is what we need to talk about in book club and not in front of a bunch of people who might now pick up this book. So, but okay, so yeah. listening on audio, I feel like it takes me – it's harder for me to get oriented at first because I'm probably listening while I'm running or have my hands full. and So I can't flip back and forth and be like, who is that character again? Who is that person? Why does that matter? What happened? But once I'm oriented, I just feel like the – the telling of it if it's any good just really propels you forward. So I didn't have any problem getting into it. The narrator's voices, the accents are so good and so atmospheric because so much of it is set on and on an on this fictional island of St. Acts where the the tragedy happens. But I just oh, I thought it was such an interesting portrait of grief for one, but also obsession in a way that I just couldn't understand at first. But then as you get to know this character better and better and you see her world and how it has just been taken over by this thing from the past, she's on the brink of losing her job at a publishing house. A lot of readers are going to think that's a fun little detail um, because she's so consumed with with the past. And I found that aspect of it really interesting.
0: I liked that part, being obsessed with the death of her sister and trying to find out who did it from afar. She lives in New York City in her adulthood. And this thing that happened to her sister, you know, decades ago, became almost like the Natalie Holloway case, like the the whole nation knew about it. It was a very famous murder case. And then as she's an adult, it's still haunting her and she's to an obsessive way. We'll just leave it at that. But to me, the first half reads like a thriller mystery in that it wasn't that deep. To me it was a page turner, but like it wasn't I wasn't getting like a ton of layers of depth to it. The back half, especially even just like the back quarter, like I said, you meet some new characters from the island that you haven't met in the in the beginning.
1: Oh, I forgot about that.
0: It's almost like the the back quarter is a lot more literary fiction mm-hmm. to me, even though there's a big twist and there's a reveal and, you know, there's the elements of a, of a mystery thriller t- towards the end as plot points. But in character and stuff, it's so much heavier in that to me and layers and like, oh, like this is not again, this is like not a cut and dry thing. Like, how do I actually feel about this? and relationships. And obviously, these are, this is a Caribbean island, it's catering to Americans. And so there's some stickiness there. And like, a lot of that stuff that was super interesting to me happened at the end of the book, where Mm -hmm. at the beginning, maybe they're trying to draw you in with the mystery of it all. But I was just sort of bopping along with this book, again, like, just a three star mentality. And then suddenly I was like, Oh, no, wait, like, this is so interesting Mm -hmm. at the end. And again, this just doesn't happen to me very often. Maybe this does happen in books more than I know. And I give them up, you know, (laughs) I quit reading them before I get to the end. It was just heavy loaded towards the end in my mind. And I don't, a lot of times you feel like a book is heavy loaded at the beginning. It's so good. It's so layered. It's so beautifully written. And then maybe it fizzles. Or whatever at the end, and people are disappointed that way. I don't mm-hmm. read it switched very often, and that's one mm-hmm. of the reasons I wanted to talk about it. I guess
1: that is so interesting, but also I want to say that that is not the norm. I I freely abandon books, even if I'm like at the eighty percent mark. But I don't want you to feel like forevermore that you need to like become a finisher because you had this amazing experience. It is rare, and I think that's what makes it so special for you.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't. It wasn't. The first half wasn't terrible for me. Or again, I would have, I would have quit reading it. I did care enough about where this was going to finish it, and was and just was very surprised by the end. So I purchased this book. I pre-ordered it, which I tend to do when in the certain times of the year when like big lists come out. Mm -hmm. So at the end of 2019, when there was like the most anticipated books of 2020, or like from your reading guide the books that haven't come out yet, if they sound intriguing to me, like big moments like that, I will preorder novels, especially, and I forget about them. And then they show up at my door. So this was one of those that I had pre-ordered at the end of the year, and it arrived in March or whatever. And I read it. it and it's a fairly quickish read. It's like a weekend read for me. And I haven't heard much about it.
1: About St. X. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting.
0: Did you hear a lot? Of, I mean, you read it early, I
1: guess. But like, was there buzz around this that I missed? <laughs> if there was, I didn't see it. And I know that I talked about it on the podcast on um, What Should I Read Next. I remember the episode. It was the one with Amy Rohn who works with uh, Simon & Schuster. I don't know when it came out, but I, I did expect there to be more of a fuss about it than there was. I almost put it in the summer reading guide. That's funny, but I didn't because I felt like I talked I talked about it enough and it was a January release and I want to squeeze in, you know, more summer ones. So that's really funny.
0: These type of books are actually a little bit hard to talk about because you don't want to give any spoilers and and this one is full of spoilers because there's actually quite a few twists at the end. And I don't and they're not like zany twists. I'm not really a zany twist person. They're <laughs> they're realistic twists. I mean like you do find out how the sister died or whatever, which is good. You know, you you kind of want to wrap all that part up. But they are hard to talk about. But I'm mentioning this because a I haven't read very many novels and I just think I do like talking about books that surprise you emotionally versus just being like yeah, this was good. This wasn't good, whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. Okay, what are you looking forward to in your reading life this summer? I don't know what it looks like in your corner of the world, lockdown-wise. I don't know, like, is your family, have you canceled travel plans? Like, sort of what are you feeling about for your summer and how it's gonna affect your reading and your work and that stuff?
1: I'm in Louisville, Kentucky, where we have been locked down for about the same, about nine weeks now. And we're talking about relaxing a little bit coming up. I mean, culturally, but my husband is like, yeah, we're not going anywhere. All the kids stuff has been canceled. We had some Modern Mrs. Darcy, What Should I Read Next? Don't Overthink It events this summer. Those are all canceled. Summer vacation, canceled. Um, like my kids don't have practice. Laura, it's all canceled. We're not going anywhere. Um, and it's funny, when we did the summer reading guide this year, I plan ahead. I take photos at the beach. We have a lot of outdoorsy things. I stage all these photos like, on my front porch, on my sofa, because I just thought it would be mean to take photos of all the places you're not going. And while we want to think about how we'll go there again, why do that? You know, just to, I don't want to be out of touch like that. So also I need to get my own head in gear. Like, Anne, this is what your summer's going to look like.
0: I talked about your book, Don't Overthink It in the intro already. I really, really liked that book, Anne. And I have used your principles now multiple times to not overthink it because I can totally spin out in my head. Do you feel like, you know, you said your husband was like, yeah, we're not going anywhere. Has the don't overthink it philosophy sort of helped you during this time or making plans going forward? Like maybe even around your book tour. You're like, yeah, we just we have to cancel. We can't. I don't know like has it how has that affected your book actually?
1: Okay, so the pandemic has only done good things for your book sales if you had the foresight to make like children's math workbooks. If that's your situation, <laughs> you're doing great. It's not been good for my book sales. But what has been good for me is writing that book. Like something that I came to because I wrote that book is the idea of making in the book I call it values driven decision making, which sounds like the boringest thing ever, but It's been interesting to make my own decisions about what we're going to do with our lives and our book tour and our business in light of COVID 19, but also watching how other people are making theirs. I don't know what things look like from where you sit, Laura, but from where I am, it's been really interesting to see which of my kids' schools are handling the situation really, really well and which uh, do not seem to be so much, which businesses are like killing it. I think um, clearly putting people first and clearly communicating and seeming like, I mean, I didn't know I wanted my local gym to be a big community leader here, but they've done an amazing job of saying, this is what we care about. Therefore, this is what we're doing. We don't know everything, but this is how we're deciding. And then some some businesses and organizations that shall go unnamed have obviously led out of out of fear, out of bristliness, instead of really leading out of what what they care about. Or it's been revealed that they don't care about the things that I had wished they'd care about. So when we were deciding what we wanted to do for our events and for the business, we just asked ourselves, like, what really matters here? Like what is important to get right? Like if we err on the side, is it gonna be on like helping bookstores bottom lines or helping people preserve their health, like if we're going to get it wrong, like nobody wants to have to choose between those things. But if we do, like what's going to go first and what do we need to communicate and what do we want people to know? What do we care about? What do we care about for them? So in that sense, like, yeah, I've been living my book, but this summer, like we just – we we don't want to put anybody in harm's way whether that's ourselves or people that we're inadvertently might inadvertently be hurting we definitely don't care about going ahead with anything at all costs and if that means acknowledging like this sucks but you know reading on the porch isn't so bad maybe this summer we'll prioritize the mosquito care cuz i live in kentucky and we have a lot of bugs but yeah we're not doing anything we're staying home so every year around this time, after reading so many contemporary novels for the summer reading guide, I'd love to go old, like catch up on this stuff from 10 years ago, from 20 years ago. And I always end up reading something real old, like Jane Austen in the summer. And then I'm already starting to, uh, I mean, I love this, but also I'm like, oh, Anne, really, but I'm starting to read for fall. I read two excellent books in the past week that are coming out in September, or they had better be if publishers are still bumping back to, uh, September dates. I mean, there's no way they, or what Anne? you know, but I'm not going to be a happy camper about that.
0: I know so many things are affected. I actually think that your book is like the ideas in Don't Overthink It are especially timely right now. And I am so bummed for you that you didn't get to go on book tour and talk about this more. But I think that this is prime time to overthink things, to overthink how we're going to do things when really there is a way to make a simple decision based on, like you said, our values or like what we want, how we want it to shake out. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's been helpful to me to be like, it's right now in the middle of everybody trying to make decisions or justify the decisions they're making or anything like Mm -hmm. that. You know what I mean? To just get back to basics and be like, no, like don't overthink it. What feels right? What aligns with our business self, our family rules, our, you know, like what best aligns here? And let's not try to skirt that, cheat that, shimmy our way around that. Like, let's just not overthink it. Like, this is it. We're stuck at home for a minute. Mm
1: -hmm. And it's not much deeper than that, really. (laughs) You know, something I discovered about myself just just in time to put in the book is that I tend to overthink things when I don't like the options in front of me. And until I realized that, what I try to do is my brain would just go out searching for like a, a solution that I liked more. But in some situations, like right now, there's not a solution to anything That is going, you know, like, okay, my kids want to see their friends. So that would be easy to overthink. Like, how can we make this happen? What can we do? And I mean, in person, I don't mean on zoom. We are all so over zoom, but I mean, I lead a book club on zoom and I love it. And yet I don't want to have class on zoom. I don't want to have cocktail hour on zoom. Like it's just, I work online. I want to hang out on your couch, you know? Exactly. Um, So I thought that you get that, but I do tend to keep looking for a solution I like and there There aren't a lot of options in front of us that we like right now, and I just can't tell you how much overthinking that has spared me. Like you don't have to like it for it to be exactly the right thing for you right now,
0: exactly. I love that you said that It seems like a perfect place to end, actually. Thank you for being on this show. Thank you for taking all this time with me, much more time than I promised you we would take. I really appreciate it because I feel like we could have talked about books for hours and hours.
1: I will talk books with you anytime. Thank you for having me.